Well, our hearts are broken tonight. My heart is broken. Um, I'm horrified by the happenings of what took place this last weekend in Israel. Sneak attacks of Hamas out of the Gaza Strip, butchering Israeli citizens. They're calling it the deadliest day uh, for Jewish citizens since the Holocaust. And the atrocities that have been committed, um, you're getting a real look at the face of evil. And Israel has uh, rightfully began to retaliate and defend themselves and go on the offensive. So it's a very serious situation in the Middle East. Tonight, I want to give you a brief little overview in history on the land of Israel, the promised land, and how it got to where it is right now. The modern history of Israel is very complex. I will not pretend to be an expert on it. It's very complicated. But I think I know enough, and we can know enough, that gives us an idea of the challenges that they're facing, and so we can be praying for them. So before we begin, let's have a word of prayer together. Father, I pray that you give us understanding into what's happening at your land. God, I pray I pray for the protection of your people. We look forward to your soon return, Lord. Peace comes when you, the Prince of Peace, come. We look forward to that. Bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's our land of Israel. So it looks today. Very small territory, about the size of New Jersey. 266 miles from south to north. So it's like driving from El Paso to Albuquerque. That's how long it is. About 78 miles across here, 35 miles across that part. There's a population of about 9.8 million, 73% are Jewish. 21% are Arab Israeli citizens. Now, that's not including the population in these disputed territories. You'll notice the disputed territories called the West Bank. We have the Golan Heights. And then, of course, we have the Gaza Strip. Just as you can kind of get a bearing of where you're at, here's the Sea of Galilee. Here's Jerusalem. There's Tel Aviv. Go down as far as a lot on the south. You'll notice that it is completely surrounded by uh, nations that are hostile to them in many ways. You got Egypt down south, Jordan to the east, Syria northeast, Lebanon north, Saudi Arabia down here. If you go further east, you've got Iraq and then you have Iran. So they are completely surrounded by. Some nations who want them wiped off the face of the map. How did we get to this arrangement? Well, I want to give you just a little bit of history tonight. And I want to go all the way back to the beginning. 
the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. The Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. The Canaanites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. So somebody tried to put that on a map, and you'll notice there's Israel like we know it today. Here's the limits. This is the land that God promised his people. And they've never actually taken that whole land. One day they will. And Jesus will rule over that land. So that promise was made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. Abraham goes to live in the land. Then Israel goes into Egypt for 400 years. You remember that story. And they are delivered by Moses, the Exodus. Pretty soon they go into the promised land under the conquest of Joshua. And they recover the land. They came up here, had a central invasion, went north, went south. And they took over the land. And here's where all the different 12 tribes of Israel were given their allotment in the land. It stayed like that for several hundred years. It was a tribal territory type of thing. Then they go through the period of the judges. You remember that period? with all the judges and all the issues they had. And then the prophet, Samuel, he, he ruled. And that all continued until Israel became a monarchy. And they became a united kingdom. They became a monarchy. The first king of Israel was who? Saul, followed by David, and then David's son, Solomon. So they were a united kingdom from about 1043 to 931 B.C. And this is the glorious Solomon reign. It's called the Golden Age of Israel. Took a lot of territory. They were over a lot of territory. A lot of times when Jews talk about getting back to the kingdom age, they're talking about getting back to this age. Well... In 931 B.C., a terrible thing happened. The kingdom divided. They had a civil war. Ten tribes went north. They're called Israel. Two tribes stayed south. and They're called Judah. So here we have the land split. Northern kingdom of Israel. Southern kingdom of Judah. Terrible time. Civil war, division. Horrific. The northern kingdom of Israel uh, was guilty of great acts of idolatry. They never had one good king. Every king was uh, wicked and rebellious. And so in 722 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel was taken into captivity by the Assyrian Empire. The southern kingdom of Judah was better, but... And they lasted a little longer, but they became rebellious as well. 
And in 586 B.C., Judah went into captivity. So about 586 B.C., the land of Israel's blank. Northern kingdom of Israel gone, Judah's kingdom gone. Everyone deported. And this, by the way, was judgment against God's people because they had ignored the law and ignored the Lord their God. So it was a form of judgment. And when they left in 586 B.C., it was never really the same. They did come back from Babylon uh, under Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah. They were able to rebuild their temple in Jerusalem, rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. But it never really was the same. They never really got control of their homeland again. So it went from the Babylonians to the Medo-Persians. Then the Greeks took over. Here's the Grecian Empire, which separated into four different territories. This is Israel under Grecian control. And then, as you know, Rome took control. And under Rome, the Herods took control of the Holy Land, answering to Rome. And that's how it looked. Until about 70 A.D., the Roman destruction of Israel. The Jews revolted in the old city of Jerusalem. The Roman general named Titus came. They besieged the city. We talked a lot about this last week. And uh, Israel was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. The whole city was leveled. And there hasn't been a temple on the mount since 70 A.D., And so for the last 2,000 years, essentially, Israel. Vacant, really, of any Jewish presence. Dispersed all over the land, all over the world. Different people getting in control of this. Uh, You have the rise of the uh, Muslims, Islam, all the various transfers of power. So that's kind of where we get to now what we would call the modern day history of Israel. The miracles that have really taken place since. And that's what I want to talk a little bit about now. How did we get back into the land? How did that all happen? What's going on there? And I would take you to a guy by the name of Theodore Herzl, who lived in the late 1800s. This guy is called the father of modern-day Zionism. This is a Jewish journalist, and he lived in Vienna, Austria. And he noticed the anti-Semitism going on all around Europe, even in Vienna. And he, he had this idea that there's no way Jews are ever going to be able to assimilate into all these various cultures. They're not wanted. So he began this Zionistic movement saying the only hope for the Jewish people is for them to have their own homeland. And so in 1896, he published this pamphlet called Der Judenstadt, in which he elaborated his visions of a Jewish homeland. His ideas attracted international attention 
and rapidly established Herzl as a major figure in the Jewish world. So he got everyone worldwide, Jewish communities worldwide, excited about coming back to a homeland in Israel. Now, at that time, the Ottoman Empire was on the map, and they controlled the Holy Land for 400 years. These are Muslims, the Turks, become Turkey. They controlled the Holy Land for about 400 years. Very, very small Jewish population in a real little territory in the place that would eventually become Tel Aviv. 3% located right there. World War One breaks out. The Ottoman Empire becomes involved. Britain and, and the French, they fight the Ottoman Empire in World War I. Sometimes they win, sometimes they don't. There's a lot of back and forth. But eventually, at the end of World War I, Ottoman concedes the Holy Land to Britain, to the world. They conceded it. And getting ahead just a little bit, um, the League of Nations at that time decided that the British would administer the Holy Land. It's a time called the British Mandate. So at that time, they would be in charge of the Jews and the Arabs living in that area. Okay, so right in the middle of all that, we have this incredible moment called the Balfour Declaration. The foreign minister for Britain, Arthur Balfour, wrote a letter to a man called Lord's Rots, what's his, I forget his name, Lord Rothschild, who was in charge of a large Jewish community in Britain. And this was a very important letter. I don't know if you can read it, but I'm going to read it to you. This is the official letter. He writes to this uh, Jewish community uh, leader, His Majesty's government view with favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people and will use their best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this object, it being clearly understood that nothing shall be done which may prejudice the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine or the rights and political status enjoyed by Jews in any other country. I should be grateful if you would bring this declaration to the knowledge of the Zionist Federation. You see what's going on there? This guy writes to a leader of a Jewish community and says, we're in favor of getting the Jews back to their homeland. Let everyone know that the British government is in favor of that. Get the word out. And the word got out. So the British mandate begins about 1922, 1923, and it'll last till 1947. 
And the Brits are in charge of this area. All of Israel, all of this area called Transjordan. And this is under the British mandate. There are still many Arabs in the land from the Ottoman Empire. There are other Arabs. There are some Jews, but because of the Balfour Declaration, Jews start pouring in to their land. So you're getting a big collection of Jews and Arabs in the land, and it becomes so tense that the Brits start to turn their backs on the Jewish people. And there was some big-time problems between the Jews in the land and the British people. So meanwhile, during this time period, another war breaks out, which is War World II. And everyone knows what happens in World War II. The horrors of the Holocaust by the Nazis under Adolf Hitler. I want you to think about this. Six million Jews were slaughtered. Six million Jews. The concentration camps and the horror of all of that. So World War II closes out. Everyone discovers what had happened to the Jewish people. So now there's much sympathy for the Jews coming back to their land. The British mandate is going to come to an end. And the world, the United Nations, needs to do something with Arabs and Jews in the land. And so they came up with the two-state partition that was adopted by the UN on November 29th, 1947. This is what they proposed. Two states in the land of Israel. All the pink? Arab. All the blue? Israel. Right there in the middle, Jerusalem, that's yellow an international control of Jerusalem. So that's what they proposed. Here's another look at it. Notice that it's surrounded again by Egypt, Transjordan, Saudi Arabia, Syria, Lebanon, all of that. Here's Jerusalem. Here's Israel. The white is what the Israeli state will get. This beige area is what all of the Arabs would get. So now this is a very important map that I want you to notice very carefully. This is what was proposed in 1947. This is what the United Nations said. This is what the two-state relationship is going to look like in the land of Israel. The British mandate would be over Oh, and about seven months from that, May 15th, 1948. Take about six, seven months for everybody to get ready. Now, remember, there's lots of Arabs. There's lots of Jews already in the land. Everyone's excited. Here's what happened. Israel said yes. They accepted it. We're in. Let's go for it. The Arabs rejected it. They said, we're not in. 
We don't want anything to do with that. We don't want a two-state. We want a one-state. We want to be in charge of that whole land. So that's very important. So as you get closer to May 15th, 1948, everyone's gearing up for the mandate to be over. And at that point, all of the Muslim Arab nations were building up for war. They were getting ready to just go in and wipe Israel off the map. All of the Arabs, most of them, living in this, were told to leave their area, join the Arab nation, go to Egypt down south here, go to Transjordan down here, go up north here. All of the Arabs, leave. Get out of Dodge. Join the Arab nations because the Arab nations are going to come in and wipe out all of Israel and make the whole territory the Arab Muslim territory. So a lot of these Arabs, right here in this community, they all left everything. Their towns, their houses, they all packed up. Now please understand something. Israel never demanded that they leave. Israel never forced them to leave. Now, as it got closer to 1948, the deadline, there were some Israelis that got suspicious of some of the Arabs that stayed in the land, thinking that they were working. And so some were forced out, but by and large, Israel even asked them to stay. Stay, and you'll be an Arab-Israeli citizen in the new state of Israel. And by the way, there were lots, some Arabs that did stay, and today they are Arab-Israeli citizens in the recognized state of Israel. But many left. Those are your Palestinian refugees. You hear people talk about that a lot. These are the ones who have supposedly been kicked out of the land of Israel. Their homes taken. Not true. They left voluntarily at the advice of the Arab nations. Israel never kicked them out. With me? So, May 14th, 1948, Israel's reborn. They become a nation. They declare their statehood. The very next day, they were invaded by all of the Arab nations around them. And that began what's called the War of Independence that lasted from 1948 to 1949. I think about 15 months or so. Israel was completely outmanned. They had 600,000. That's it. They had very little weaponry, not a lot of tanks, not a lot of help or anything. They were greatly outnumbered. This war was bloody. They lost 1% of their nation, 6,000. Terrible, terrible things, but God gave them the win. And if you read through it, you'll, you'll read some of these supernatural things that God did. 
So when all the dust clears on that, here's how the land of Israel looked. Israel was in control of the entire land, including these areas. Egypt still had uh, folks there, and Jordan had folks in what's called the West Bank. And at the conclusion of that war, the, the UN, again, defined these armistice lines. And this is a very famous line. It's called the Green Line. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Now, again, Israel is in charge of everything after that. Military, civil. Military, not civil. Military, not civil. In those territories, they were to take care of themselves in the civil department. I want to give you a look, a side-by-side comparison. This is the partition, 1947. This is what happened after the war. A lot of area was gained by Israel. These areas became under Israel control, and yet you still have some refugees in there. So they're disputed territories. Here's another look. Pre, this is what UNN, UN originally proposed. Here's what happened after the... Uh, War of Independence. So this is what the land looked like from 1949 to 1967. All right. During this period, Israel grew. They began doing all kinds of things with the agriculture of the land. They did amazing things. The, 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 the desert wilderness area in Israel, they, they turned it to bloom. In all kinds of agriculture. By 1951, 687,000 Jews came in to the land of Israel, doubling their population to 1.2 million. Think about that. Doubling your population in a brand new country in three years to 1.2 million. By their 10-year anniversary, there's 2 million Jews in the land. So, very important to to point this out. When Jews from all over the world came to Israel, 600,000, three years, Israel welcomed them, cared for them, brought them in, included them. The refugees, the Palestinian refugees, were not even accepted back by their countries. They were not accepted. They were not taken care of. In fact, I feel sorry for the Palestinian refugees because they've been used as pawns in history. Look how evil Israel's been. Well, why didn't you take them into your land and take care of them? Or go into that part of the land and take care of them? They had civil control if they wanted but nothing like that ever happened. 
So that's how it exists from 1949 to 1967. And then we come to the Six-Day War, June 1967. At this time, all of the Arab nations around Israel attacked from the south in Egypt, from the north, Syria and Lebanon, from the east, Jordan. I mean, it was, they were all amassing for this war to take over. And again, the goal is to push Israel out into the sea. Israel did a preemptive strike. And again, I would reference you to many of the books that have been written on the miracles that took place. In six days, look what happened. Here's the land Israel had before. They took the entire Sinai of Egypt. They took Jerusalem. West and eastern Jerusalem was joined together. At this point, Jerusalem becomes the capital of Israel. They also took this very strategic place up here known as the Golan Heights. Look at that. In six days. Again, greatly outgunned. Greatly outmanned. In fact, on Wednesday nights, when we were going through the book of Zechariah, I, I went into detail about how God miraculously gave his people victory. Very important. 1967. Israel gets Jerusalem. All of it. They get the Golan Heights. And they actually, I mean, I was fascinated. I didn't know this. They get this Sinai and they'd keep it for the next 15 years. Did you know that Israel had that for 15 years? All the way over here to Suez Canal, which is very, very important. If you know anything about the Suez Canal, they had that for 15 years. October of 1973, the Yom Kippur War. Now, that was 50 years ago, October 6th. When did they invade just recently? October 7th, right in the exact same time. Yom Kippur is the the holiest day of the year for Israel, and they were sneak attacked, rushed again from the south, from the north, from the east, on a holy day, a Sabbath day. The military wasn't even really involved and it was an incredible thing this conflict took 19 days and after that that's what the Yom Kippur ceasefire lines looked like nothing really changed in fact Israel got all the way over here they even got some more territory up there So, keep cruising along. After the Yom Kippur War in 1973, in 1982, Egypt and Israel Israel entered into a peace treaty. And in this peace treaty, they gave all of Egypt back their Sinai. All of it. In 1980 and 1981... Before this treaty, I forgot to mention, 
Israel annexed the Golan Heights. In other words, this is our land now. They also annexed that part of Jerusalem. This is our land. This is our capital. Now, it's really important that they keep the Golan Heights because it's a very high plateau. Right here is the Sea of Galilee. This is like this high plateau that looks down over the Galilee. And when, when it was in Syrian control, they just lobbed missiles right down onto the Galilee. It's a very strategic place. So Israel was never, ever going to give that away. And so this is Israel today. The green line. The West Bank. Gaza. And then, of course, we have the Golan Heights and all of Jerusalem. And that's how we get there. That's where we are at this day. So, throughout the whole history, even from 1982 on with the Egyptian-Israeli peace accords and all the different things they've done, the Oslo agreements and all, there's, there's so much history. We're just barely touching. There have always been issues. There have always been terrorist threats. They've had to deal with Hezbollah lobbing missiles from the north this way. They've had to deal with um, suicide bombers in the, inf- the Infada 1 and 2. And, and here Gaza, they've had to deal with rockets, as you know, being uh, shot into the land. And so this whole time, there's been these people trying to make peace, trying to get peace in this land. All, and it's been this, uh, Israel, you need to give back land. And if you give back land, there'll be peace. So in 2005, Gaza, Israel unilaterally, completely withdrew from this region, gave it all to the Palestinians, gave them the whole territory, control of it. The Jews had settlements in this area, 14 of them, if I recall. In 2005, they were all commanded to leave. Gaza was given completely over into the hands of the Palestinians, 2005. 2007, guess who took control? Guess who was elected, right? Elected. Hamas. Hamas took over, and of course they've turned that into a staging area for terror that they can launch into Israel. And so uh, this last Saturday, in the early morning hours, 1,500 Hamas terrorists crossed this border, came out of Gaza, and butchered and killed 1,200 right here in these kibbutzes right here on the south. And, of course, they began launching uh, rockets. And now the big fear is, and this is what you really need, this is what we need to be praying against, that it doesn't get too heavy here. That Hezbollah starts 
getting involved or even heavy here. There's a really good possibility that Israel could be attacked again from the south, the north, and the east. Now America has a warship that they've just parked right here. And I'm very happy about that. And it is my feeling that if this is to get out of hand or this is to get out of hand, America is going to jump in and help. That's my prayer. My prayer, first of all, is that that will be a deterrent, that that won't happen. So that's where we're at. I like to go back to the beginning, though. God is going to give his people that. They're going to get the whole land. That land doesn't belong uh, to anybody else. You know who that land belongs to? God. And you know who God gave the land to? Israel. That's it. And that's going to happen. Israel is going to continue to be one of the hot spots of the world, and even more specifically, Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be a hot spot. All of the Old Testament prophecies that look forward to the last days and all the things that you find in the New Testament predict that there has to be an Israel state in the land of Israel speaking the language of Israel, which is Hebrew, surrounded by enemies. And folks, that began happening in 1948. That is the indication to me that we are living in the last days. And there's big things that are going to happen here. We know that uh, there will come into power a world leader known as the Antichrist. And he will somehow make peace in the Middle East. In the middle of the seven-year agreement, he'll break the peace. There will be terrible turmoil. The nations of the world will gather together in the uh, valley of Megiddo, right in here, Armageddon. There's going to be a terrible last war. There's going to be a stance against God and his people. And at that time, Jesus Christ is going to come again. He's going to wipe out the enemies of his people. And he's going to set up his kingdom literally in Jerusalem. All that territory back together. And he will reign and rule literally for a thousand years in what I believe is called the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we're going to reign with him. That's where it's all headed. And I hope that makes at least a little more sense of what's going on in this back and forth. And this land for peace. Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And get this, this is a promise all the way back in Genesis 12 to the father of the nation of Israel. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Those who curse Israel, God will curse. 
those who bless Israel, God will bless. Israel never deserved to be chosen by God. It's all grace. God just chose Israel to be his people, to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. How? All the prophets, all the scriptures, and most importantly, the Jewish Messiah. The Lord Jesus Christ. Born to give his life as a ransom at the cross of Calvary died on the cross, rose again the third day, and he's alive. And if you put your faith and trust in him, you'll be forgiven, you'll become saved, you'll become a member of his family. Right now, we live in the church age, which is comprised of Jew and Gentile, who receive Jesus Christ as Lord. The rapture of the church happens that all of this stuff happens with the tribulation, and we can see it all beginning to line up. Psalm 122, verse 6 through 7. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. And so with that said, I want to obey Psalm 122. Tonight I want us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I want to pray with precision and wisdom and discernment. I'm going to have us all get into groups, groups of like five to ten. And here are some bullet points that I would like you to pray for as you consider Israel. First of all, comfort from current atrocities military defense and offense pray against the world propaganda propaganda so israel is already they're 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 defending themselves they're going in they're taking it out and the world is always already saying that they're guilty of war crimes because they're attacking gaza because these terrorists in gaza shoot their little rockets from schools and from neighborhoods, and from hospitals. And so if Israel retaliates, what happens? There's casualty, and a lot of civilians get hurt, and then these they take the bodies out, show the world, and say, look what Israel's doing. Israel isn't killing their civilians. Hamas is killing their own civilians. Don't hide behind human shields. Don't hide behind your kids. Come on, man, step up and fight like a soldier. So the world propaganda is going to be, and we live in a world that's anti-Israel and anti-God and anti-Christian. And you see that so clearly. So pray against that. And then also pray for Christian relationships with the nation of Israel. And also pray for America's relationship. I should have put that up there. America's relationship with Israel that will prove to be the support that we need to be. But also Christian relationships that we as Christians would support Israel in any way that we can. One of the greatest ways that Christians support Israel is by taking tours in the land of Israel. And I got to tell you, we're scheduled to go on a tour Could we have picked a better time? 
November 19th. So that's a little bit more than five weeks from now. Just so you know, our tour is currently on hold. It's in a wait and see pattern. It's in a wait and see pattern. Um, believe it or not, as bad as it looks right now, it could clear up quickly. I mean, look what Israel did in six days. In October of 1973, look what they did in 19 days. So I'm thinking our tours, I'm hoping that we can still go. I don't know how everybody else feels. Pray for me if you think I need prayer. (laughs) Pray for our whole group. Uh, But we do have people on the ground. We have a guide who has already told us, uh, come. It'll be a way to support Israel. It'll be a way. We'll be safe. We never go anywhere near Gaza or any of the places on the West Bank. Uh, it's sad. Palestinians are now in control of Bethlehem and Jericho. Those used to be staples on tours to Israel. Now you can't go in them because it's, uh, it's very hard to get into them. But um, if things get out of, in under control, it's a, good, it's a good possibility that we can still go on these tours. By the way, I noticed that there are huge Israel tours scheduled for the same time as us. I think a huge one from TBN, Trinity Broadcast Network, and another one with a huge mega church. So I'll be looking at how their tours, how they're handling it as well. But I would appreciate it if you would pray for our upcoming tour. Um, discernment. Um, uh, just how to approach that. So let's split up into groups of five to ten. And let's take about 15 to 20 minutes to pray over these things. If you are not comfortable praying, then you don't have to pray out loud. But join with those who are praying. If you're not comfortable praying at all, man, you are certainly free to leave. The service would be over for you. But I would ask that you would pray for these things on your own. Think about this. If you are watching right now online as a family, we're going to leave these bullets up on screen, and I would ask that as a family, you would also pray for Israel. All right, let's do that. Just groups of five to ten. Prayers around the world. We do pray, Lord, for uh, the comfort of those who are hurting right now. Lord, I want to pray for the hostages. I pray that they'd be freed. Pray that you'd be with them in these difficult times. I pray that you would, oh, Lord, bring freedom. Lord, I do pray for all the military decisions that are being made, all the plots, all the schemes. I pray that everything would be uh, taken to light. I pray for a quick resolution to this current crisis. Lord, I pray that uh, we would be able to discern uh, the truth from the lies and the propaganda machine that's moving forward. And I pray, Lord, that uh, people would, would recognize propaganda when they see it, especially decision makers. I pray for our uh, universities that are so 
So many are so blind. I do pray for relationships between America and Israel, that they'd be strong. I pray that there would always be leaders in this country with hearts that are pro-Israel. Lord, I pray for relationship between church and Israel as well. Be an, a solid relationship of support. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, quickly, one more thing. Um, in talking about this whole situation, you know, I, I talk about the Arabs all the way around, and um, I don't want to give you the impression that I don't like Arabs. Um, and that I think all Arabs are monsters. I think there's monsters in every ethnic group. Um, and so I'm, I'm against the Hamas terrorists. Um, God is actually doing amazing things in the Arabic world. Many, many in the 1040 window are coming to Christ out of Islam. They're getting dreams and revelations of Jesus. Many, many are coming to Christ. And everyone over here, they're, they're not all on board with this. In fact, I mentioned the Arab-Israeli citizens. They're in the uniform of Israel running into battle with their Jewish fellow citizens, singing the songs of Israel. So understand that. Um, This isn't against all these different, you know how that is. Um, There are monsters that we need to pray against. And there's also a big giant monster behind all of it, which is the enemy himself that we need to pray against. But uh, so don't don't get an anti-Arabic mindset at all with this at all be careful be very careful with that in fact it was it was weird i don't know if you saw there was a video posted on facebook we think these atrocities are only happening in israel there's a cartel in mexico that just posted a video all of and they're they're warning the citizens of wherever they're at that blood and purging is coming to the land we have all kinds of horrible things happening all over the planet and we need to keep praying And keep being that light that we need to be. Thank you guys so much for coming tonight. I hope it helps some. I certainly know the prayers helped. And uh, keep all of this on your mind in the coming days and in the coming weeks. Be praying for Israel regularly. And by the way, they should be on your regular prayer list even when there is no crisis. Right? You should constantly be praying for them and for the peace of Jerusalem. So with that said, God bless you. Shalom. All right.